Hello and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Right. So what makes a really high-performing team? It's a, it's a question that has produced many theories over the years in life, sport, and business, as we all seek to build and be a part of a unit that seems to just smash its goals with consummate ease and get stronger with every challenge it faces. But what does it feel like to be part of such a team? What does it do for you? What does it do to you? Do you even notice any of that, or does it just feel natural? Now, there's always going to be tons of work behind the scenes to get to that point. So what are the secrets to unlocking the potential of not just an individual, but a collective? Well, with me today is someone incredibly well qualified to help us understand the whole high-performing team thing. Look, I've been lucky enough to work with him for the last two or three years now, and I consider him a good friend too. You'll probably best know him for his international sporting prowess playing rugby for Leicester Tigers in England, where he's still the all-time leading try scorer for his country. And of course, the British and Irish Lions. It's Rory Underwood. But there's a lot more team credential Rory has that you might not be aware of. Rory has a military background of 18 years experience of flying fast jets with the RAF. as compared to 12 playing international rugby. And over 10 years ago now, he established his company, Wingman, did you see what he did there, where he and the team work with a variety of businesses varying in size and sector, helping them to achieve their high-performance team goals. So who better to talk to on the topic of high-performing teams than Rory? Hey, Rory, welcome to the show. All right, how are you? I'm all right, my friend. I'm all right. High-performing teams. Well, there you go. Who'd have thought maybe... A couple of years or so ago, I'd be sitting on a podcast talking to someone I call a mate, Rory Underwood. How, how cool is that? Uh, well, yeah, I like to think it's very cool, uh, <laughs> but it's an interesting journey and uh, interesting times. So what's what's taking up your focus right now, Rory? What are the sort of things that you're working on and helping businesses with? Well, there's two things. It's like anything else. I'm trying to help businesses. I'm trying to help businesses get the understanding, as you uh, mentioned in your introduction, about what is there's a lot of work done on high-performance individuals, but then there's high-performance team. And then obviously mm. you've got teams and organizations. So how do you get a high-performance organization? But of course, like anything else, I am a company. And so in, in my own role as a, as, a, as a business, it's been 12 years and going um, stronger, even after the interesting small um, inverted commas uh, blip that we just had the last two years. <laughs> but uh, coming out of it, you know, we're in, the, in this uh, process of, of growing the business. I've had a couple of people come and uh, join the business. It's a very exciting time. So in both the same way of, of what I love about doing my job, I sort of 
there's two there's two words I tend to, to um, think about myself. I think of myself as a team builder, which to some people might seem a bit simplistic, but fundamentally, how do I build groups of individuals together to come to be a high performance team? I'm a team builder. I have no problem with that. Whilst at the same time, I'm a problem solver. Right. So there are a lot of, and um, you know, in all your time in, in the corporate world, as well as the time you're enjoying doing the work you're doing now, Andy, you go into organizations and whilst you see a lot of similar things they need to do to them, they all have the little nuances and differences and personalities and uh, makeup and, and geographically split or whatever. So all those different things, you can have your core sort of, I need to do this, but how I do it. I need to think about the best way of applying all the skill, experience, and knowledge, et cetera, into helping that business go through any growing pains they're going through. And it's the same for us, you know. You've been involved with our journey for the last two, three years, as, as you mentioned. And it's been and it's been an interesting journey, hasn't it? It's been, been some ups and downs along the way, as, yeah. as a lot of people will know from the last couple of years. It's been the tough time for everybody, but not always in a bad way. Because some businesses have had an absolute boon over that period. And well, I mean, I learned it. very, yeah, I learned very early on. I remember, I remember still being in the Air Force before I was leaving. I was just, I think I just started after the Air Force. And I, you know, you're not necessarily cocooned, but you, 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 your mind doesn't think about the sort of bigger, wider sort of social and uh, political and economic sort of thoughts against your mind when you're in the Air Force. And when you come out and you run your business, things change. And I remember, a lot of talk in the early days, you know, during during recessions in early times. And what was interesting, the thing you learn is even if there's a recession going on, there are people that do well and there are people that don't do so well. Yeah. And you could argue, even in a growth period uh, of a boom, there are people who do well and there's people that don't do as well. So, you know, we've, we've seen that um, directly from circumstances, anybody involved in safety, pharmaceutical, whatever, they've done sort of quite well. Anybody involved in tourism, hospitality, uh, and et al then they've struggled massively yeah tough um, but i'm sure notwithstanding that as being so directly impacted by the lockdown there have been loads of other industries that have been impacted not directly to that but just because of the circumstances of the current situation mm. and just throwing in a, a sort of a, a line that fits into the whole context of you know what we're talking about notwithstanding the, the real direct consequence but there's no doubt that if you are a high performance team or organization before you went into this sort of challenging times, there is a you know great likelihood you'll get through it because of that. And those that uh, tend to fall by the wayside are those that, you know, they don't have quite got that whole understanding of how they work together as a team or an organisation. Hundred percent. Well, look, I want to unpack some of this today in the brief time we well, have in, in 20, 20, 30 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, well, we love a challenge, mate. We love a challenge. I'm. I'm going to try and unpack this. We'll, we'll go on a little bit of a journey. And so uh, for me, the great thing about your perspective, and I think it is a unique perspective, is that you have experience of high-performing teams across elite sport, the military, and a great deal of time in a whole range of business sectors, right? Yeah. So being the basic linear Quinns fan that I am, I... I'm going oh, to break. Well, I play to you guys. You know, congratulations. Where <laughs> yes, is you? That, thank you very much. You know, having won it last year and great respect. Yes, that's. How did that that stick in the throat as a Tigers boy, or did that um, you you manage yeah, to sharing that? the love? You know, Tigers <laughs> over the time. We've had our we've had our, our highs. We've, we're down the low, and I know Quinns. You know, we had your few lows, but you know, celebrate it where it's due. And, and the way you won your semi final and the final, 
you know, fair play. Uh, amazing times uh, for a fan. Just a tremendous thing. But I mean, just, just on the side there, just to, you know, you know, the first six months of that season, the first half season, every single Quinn supporter would have recognised that you were not a high performance team. One hundred percent. One hundred. Then it's interesting. Was it just because Paul Gustard? What was it about the, the 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 chemistry of the coaches and the players that when that one change happened at Christmas time, I think it was roughly Christmas time. And then how you transform the rest of that season. Incredible. I, I wrote a piece on LinkedIn about something Joe Marler said after that, after the final. And there was a brilliant bit on the telly that sort of honed in on him as we're walking towards a line out. We're trying a bit down. And he's just shouting or saying the word firmly, believe, believe. And in his interview, and I thought that was brilliant, right, after the result. And then in the interview afterwards, he said something, and I'll get it a little bit wrong, but he said something. We just started to believe in who we wanted to be. And so mm. I, I think, and I think Danny Kerr said something similar on, on another podcast, is that the belief in them understanding what they wanted to be and how they wanted to play and mm. everybody buying into that and it being authentic just released something in them as a collective. They were, I think they were trying to be yeah. force-fitted into a, into a mould that didn't fit them. They couldn't express themselves. And, you know, you've been on our journey, you know where this, that comes That is very much around the powers that be. So the coaching staff, they got together, worked out what it was, the senior players, and they created the right environment for them to be able to ex- express themselves. Yeah. They created a high-performance environment. So, you know, the whole context of what we're going to be talking about is that sense of stifling people's potential. You know, you're not allowing people to be able to express themselves. I don't mean doing whatever the hell they like, no. but express themselves for the job they need to do and being part of a team. So how do you get the best out of individuals? How do you release that potential? And how do you release the potential of the teams such that uh, they're enabled to, you know, maximise uh, all that effort into producing what you need to do to try and become a high-performance environment in the team? 100%, mate. So look, look I'm going to start with the obvious bit. I'm going to start with you and your time in elite sport, right? I've got to try not to geek out too much in this area, but what did it feel like, right, being part of a of an elite team when they were totally on their game? I mean, that that England team that you played in, in the main, steamrolled with everybody that was in their, in their path at times. And so what did it feel yeah. like inside that team? What, what just trying to help Sorry. us understand that. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, but people will will resonate with this because pretty much everybody will have some example of it. It may have been very glimpsed and short-lived or whatever, and some will have had more of it. But for me, I sometimes describe it as, as effortless. Mm. There seems to be no effort into doing all the different things you need to do to try and do it because it just happens. You, you, you know, the stuff you talked about with regards to Quinn's, that belief, there was that. We had a belief. Now, you know, to certain people, when you have a very strong belief and you're very confident in your own self as an individual and as a team, of course, how does that come across to other people? It's it's not very far a step for that to become across as, as arrogance. Yeah, yeah. But of course, you know, in your own mindset of the way you are within the team, it just seems as if because everybody's on the same wavelength, everybody's, you know, t- stealing a, a military term, same way, same day, there's less effort having to be put in to sort out all the stuff that's causing problems. So mm. therefore it's it's effortless. That's the sort of sense. It just seems that everybody thinks the same way, believes the same way, uh, is going in the same direction, all committed to that um, shared purpose. 
and everybody's driving towards it as opposed to not sure what the shared purpose is and so going off in different directions which then everybody has to put some extra effort in to try and work out what it is how we do it and all that sort of stuff mm. does that make sense yeah yeah 100 percent. and so what what are the i'm guessing the coaches and the senior players what is it that they're doing then to create that vision instill that belief what's going on behind the scenes you think back to that take us back to the smell of mud and deep heat in the changing room at twickenham what what's going on there's no mud there goodness me twickenham <laughs> there's no mud the cracking pitch there may have been rotherham on a on a, on a february afternoon or something like that but you know <laughs> yeah i that's 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 a great insight in itself yeah it's just too clean yeah. for mud love that <laughs> so i mentioned the word already there's there's got to be a, a, a very clear goal, purpose, end game, whatever it is, around how you all want to go together. That makes life the first thing. So, for for people like you know, at the time Jeff Cook, Will Carling as captain, it's making very clear what our, what our um, our aim is for, what we're to, to drive towards. Then, mm. secondly, now in the context of elite sports, and one of the things that sometimes, you know, I, I get not so much challenge, but people question, it's all fine and well you're saying, this is what I did for England, this is what I did for Lions, but I'm working in this factory, I'm working in that office, so, you know, I don't have the ability to pick the, the 15 best players in, in the country or, or you know, yeah. in, in uh, Britain and Ireland. And so you don't have that ability, but still, even though you pick the best squad and the best squad of uh, British and Irish players to go off and play in the Lions, there's still a bunch of individuals that are still going to come together and play. There's loads so of examples of teams that have come together and of great individuals and never made it as a team. Well, you know, one of my favourite sayings, uh, and, you know, why is it that in just in general in business, people just assume that if you throw a whole bunch of people together to work on a project or initiative or or task, that they will automatically work together as a team? Yeah. You know, it it takes effort. And so it goes back to the next thing is that it takes effort not only to uh, get the rugby players from different clubs or from you know from um, uh, the four home unions to come together to play together in the same way, so that we're all trying to work in the same way. So mm. we all understand tactics we're trying to play. We all understand the, the technical bits we're trying to to um, whether it's a scrum, the line out, or when the backs play, so that all of us understanding how each other works. And it's I sometimes describe it has a there's two ways having the right cassette in so. Right. If I used to wake up on a Saturday morning and look out the window, it was raining. I was going, oh, God, it's going to be one of those days. And I end up chasing kicks all day. And it was sort of like hoping that the scrum half had the right cassette in. So it was more like a 15-man game as opposed to a nine-man game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the whole uh, um, ability to understand how you play from that perspective. And then it goes down to the individuals. They they need to want it. There is there is a lot to do with it, you know, your personal uh, motivation and desire. If, if it's only going to be for self-fulfillment and gratification that only takes you so far as a team as you mentioned before you know you've got loads of teams coming together and you've got you know what a team of 11 Ronaldo's would be fantastic to watch but I'm not sure you'd actually win you know everything there'd be a hell of a lot of gesticulating um, on the on the pitch uh, <laughs> yeah yeah a lot well lots of people in the in the sort of uh, uh attacking um penalty box trying to score a goal yeah. but you, you go back to there's there's always examples you've got you've got uh, situations where you get star players in the right place, brilliant. But you also got lots of examples of teams that have won things that have got no star players in the team, but they've been an excellent team. Um, obviously, more recently, you've seen the likes of um, of Leicester uh, City winning the uh, the league. Yeah. 
yes, they have got some good players in that team. You know, that's, that's not decrying them as not good individual players. But in the context of how many of them were international players, mm. a handful. But without a doubt, that the reason why they won that was because they were an outstanding squad and that all came together to win the win the win the, win the game before they actually played. Is that sort of phrase you hear talked about? And that goes back to what you mentioned before about Quinn's in belief. And I. I remember back to my time of playing, but more so in the sort of Martin Johnson sort of era mm. when Tigers went through that run of uh, nine, I can't remember it was nine, ten, you know, finals in a row. They just had that belief yeah. that they turn up and they will win. And it makes life so much easier because the, the, the sort of effort and drain that you have on you is not as much as, oh, I don't know. And you've got to think about it. And we get, oh, we, we, might, we might win or we might not. And you've got to keep lifting yourself up all the time. So, it goes back to the comment I said before. Sometimes it's just when it all clicks into place, you create the right environment. It is. It just seems like effortless because you're not having to waste your energy on doing stuff that just you know saps it all. Yeah, you just concentrate on getting it done, right? Just concentrate yeah. on getting it done. Yeah. Okay, so we've got this sort of unerring belief and a clear vision destination of, of where you want to go yeah. through elite teams. And that's been a big thing behind it. If we move to your military career, yeah. I mean, what's the thinking or how are teams and performance thought of in the military? What is, is there a difference? Is there a different kind of focus? Tell us about that. Well, I mean, the thing is we think about that from the very start. It's if you tell the difference between those in, in the corporate world and in business, in the military, we're selected on our potential as officers, mm-hmm. to take my my example. So I'm selected initially on my potential to be an officer, but also I do the tests on whether I can become a pilot or not. So there are all the sort of motor skills and, uh, you know, um, speed thinking, um, problem solving type uh, uh, activities got to do, as well as leadership tasks and problem solving that you have to go through. And it's five five days of um, selection at, um, at Biggin Hill. Four or five days ago, such a long time ago. Um, and so the Air Force then selects you as a potential officer and a potential pilot. They then take you through officer training. That's the first thing we do is officer training yeah. before you graduate. And there's there's a, you know, there's a attrition rate going through that. So once you qualify as a as an officer, we then go, okay, you're qualified as the minimum, minimum you know, uh, to get in to be an officer. Now I'm going to teach you how to be a pilot. But while you're teaching how to be a pilot, we'll also uh, keep on training as an officer. So my training as an officer didn't finish once I finished initial officer training. It carried on going for four or five years uh, when I went through flying training. But even then, we are assessed, obviously, as you'd imagine, in the military on a regular basis throughout every year. We have our um, 1369, Form 1369. That was the old uh, appraisal form. And as air crew, we get uh, measured on two things. A, the whole Air Force gets uh, a, an appraisal on them as a member of the the armed forces, but also as air crew, we get measured on air crew. So we have an air crew appraisal as well. Mm. Whereas if you take the business, we tend to go through school. We go to specialise at university or college or or apprenticeship or whatever. We get into a business from a specialising and then we're uh, promised that we will develop you as an individual and provide you with management leadership skills and hopefully you'll grow up through the way. Mm. And yet you and I both know that one of the one of the areas that I feel is just severely lacking in in our whole business world in the UK. Never mind, I suggest it wider than that. Is there a severe lack of management leadership training and skill set within 
business world. It yeah. really is is severely lacking. And so it's quite interesting when you look at the two juxtapositions where, you know, first in the military, you ask the question, it, it's drummed into us at a very early stage around leadership, around your teams, around you build your teams, how you bring them along. And as you go through flying training, you start having to rely and trust in other people, not just running around you to do a job, but you've got another, you know, two, three or four of us in, a, in in aircraft flying flying six feet, eight feet apart at three, 400 miles an hour. Mm. You know, you it's not the time to be wondering whether they've had a good day, did they have a, did they have a bad night last night or or is their mind on it? You know, you you have to you have to rely on each other, um, having that self discipline to come to the to the races, fully focused. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the what well, my impression of the military thing, there, there's skills, leadership, bravery, all wrapped up in performance, right? Those 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 things all have to be wrapped up. But the focus on training, I mean, when we've sat down before, I'll get the numbers wrong. You'll put me right, Rory, but. You, I think you talked about like almost the 80-20 rule of in the military, you're spending 80% of your time training and 20% doing, whereas in business, it's 8% doing. And if we're lucky, 20% training to do that. I mean, is I mean, that big it difference? Is, yeah. I mean, I, I tend to ask the question. And in fact, it's it's the numbers that come to me from the people I ask, it tends to be 90-10. Well, there you go. So... Um, and what's interesting is that when you dive into the, so businesses tend to do 90% of the time just doing and 10% of the time training. But then I break that down of that 10% training, you could take 9% is actually the sort of training you need for that person to do that job. And even that at times, I come across many situations where sometimes people are put into roles and they're promised training and they don't, never get it mm. or, or even just don't even just get it in the first or even promised in the first place. But 9% of it is down to, you know, uh, compliance, governance, and just technical skill set you need to do to do that job. Whereas 1% is actually uh, spent in actually developing people for the future. So the difference between training and development, training for the now, developing for the future. Yeah. And the amount of developing your your people for the future is woefully lacking in, in the world of business, massively lacking. And and it's it it goes back to one of my 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 personal favorite savings is not paying for it now is a short-term gain for a long-term pain because you're just kicking the can down the road and there will be trouble later on when your people aren't good enough to be able to manage at a certain level, not good enough to lead a certain level or be able to create that environment you want to have a high-performance organisation. Mm. Uh, it's To me, it's um, it should be pay for it now. It's a short-term pain, but it's a long-term gain. 100% Rory I mean I know you know even recent examples of being fortunate enough to do some leadership development training with some heads of department that are making the transition from manager to leader yeah. but there are guys in the room who've been managers for 20 30 years and we're, we're talking to them about some simple mindset stuff some leadership qualities um, and, and you know giving them a toolbox to kind of use and it's 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 sad and heartening at the same time when you've got people who are t who've been doing this for 20 30 years sitting there almost gobsmacked going why did no one tell me this 20 or 30 years ago i feel like i've I feel like i've wasted 20 years i feel like i now understand why i'm not getting anything out of people because i was acting like a 
a cave manager before or whatever it was. Why did no one tell me this stuff? So I'm a, I'm 100% in agreement with you, not just because it's one of the things I love doing, but I think people are woefully unprepared for people leadership and particularly yeah. development in, in yeah. what skills it takes. We get we get promoted on the skill of doing a job before, not necessarily on our capability to manage, motivate, and develop people, you know, and, and that's, I, yeah. I agree with you. It's, it's a massive mistake. I mean, if you take, if you take the archetypal uh, sort of example, which has been around for a while, but it's, you know, the, the, the old adage, the best salesman doesn't make the best sales manager. Mm. Mm. And, and, you know, because they spend a lot of money, a lot of these companies that is very much about sales. They'll spend a lot of money on training their salespeople to be better salespeople, but then they don't spend any money on training them how to be a, a manager. Yeah. But of course, whoever comes top tends to be promoted because they're the, the best manager, uh, best salesperson. The salesperson. It is a completely different skill set in going from selling something to managing people to sell something. Yeah. And it's the bit that people sometimes forget. Well, the, no, not sometimes, they always forget. Well, and that comes to your business. So we're, we're building this picture up of you know, experience in elite sport, the different mindset that the military has on development and leadership compared to business but in I mean, your I'll just de- add to that yeah i'll just add to that andy because you know the the i always describe the military all all the services all the armed forces i describe us like a training organization we literally train and train and train and train go to war but even when we go to war we're still training yeah yeah so yes the ultimate aim is for us to go and do what military people do but fundamentally we train for it go to war but even when we go to war, guess what? The enemy do different things and they change tactics, whatever. We've got to keep learning as we go along. So the whole context of us as military people is very much about, you know, CI continuous improvement, trying to learn all the time. You know, even from a rugby perspective, I just, I, the constant nagging I always gave myself was any time you felt as if you knew it all in the rugby context, mate, just retire because you've, you, yeah. you won't. You won't improve. You know, <laughs> one of my, my, my wife's favorite sayings is every day is a school day. And it's whether you have the mindset and ability to recognize that and actually grasp it, because most people don't realize it and don't realize there's a lesson to be learned and they don't make the most of it. And that's, that is just such a waste. Total waste, total waste. And, and I guess that's now what you try and sort out with your, with your business, right? Yeah. Stop the waste and realize the potential. So if we think about, your experiences across elite sport and the military, what's that led you? What's the viewpoint you now take into business then, Rory? What is it that you try and focus in on? Yeah, it's sort of, it's, it's like a reverse engineering, Andy, you know, my journey, because having come out of the military and being an ex-international, there was the naivety of me coming out of a, and I mentioned earlier on, it's the slightly closeted world of being in, in the military to suddenly being in the world of business and people going, Oh my God, he's a fast jet pilot and he's a, uh, rugby international. Hmm. I'll throw lots of money at him to, to help my business. But of course, you know, when you first start, people go, great story, Rory, you're my hero, but what the hell do you know about business? Yeah. yeah. And that was, that was the challenge. And of course, you know, little did I, when you look, reflect back, actually, when I started the business with two other colleagues, we were learning on, on the job as it was, you know, the day there's one day I was in with my flying suit flying and then I retired. And the next day, I'm sat there in my shorts and T-shirt in my study back at home, being like, you are uh, now. Um, he's not wearing a T-shirt, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Listen, he's wearing a very decent shirt. 
you know, um, sitting there waiting for the phone to ring because we've done some business, various things, thinking, right, there should be an avalanche of people thinking, come face. And it doesn't happen like that. You've got to go out and, 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 and find the business. And so a massive learning. And so one of the things that came out of it all was this whole context of teamwork and how people, te- you know, work with each other. There was a acknowledgement. There was a, a recognition that there were good teams and bad teams and business leaders and managers were trying to get good teams. But the whole context of how they thought about it was purely based around results. Yeah. Everything was, if they hit the numbers or exceed it, they're a good team. If they don't, they're a bad team. And that was the sort of linear thinking about it. But having come from my world of military and sport, yes, that is a measurement. But as we've discussed, as you've been questioning me in the, in the context of the military and the sport, it is so much wider and deeper than that in the context of how you get a whole bunch of people working together mm. to achieve the goal, but then how to make that as easy as possible, how to make it as enjoyable as possible, all that clarity to create that environment to be able to enable us to deliver you know, the end goal. And so coming out into the civilian world and espousing the whole context of high performance team and team, they sort of they sort of got it, but there was more a question of, well, how can you prove, you know, return on investment? And one of the things that became very clear from my knowledge, for me to be successful at rugby, I needed to be very skill set from my perspective as a rugby player, both as an individual, but as part of it as a team, as well as how do I work together as a team? How do I fly a jet? as an individual, but fly it in amongst three other aircraft, the whole context of how I fly and what I do in my tactics of flying at low level is done right. But I've got to get the context of how we as individuals work together as a team from a, uh, a team perspective. And so that, that connection between doing the job and how you work together to do the job, for me, was a crucial bit. It, it's, a, it's a sad state of affairs where I go into businesses and I'm not surprised anymore to find that people are not as commercially aware about what their business does and what the people in their business does and what the departments do, mm. even one that works next door to me. Mm. Whilst at the same time, the whole context of how do we actually work together as individuals and as teams within our organisation. And so the lack of awareness around how they commercially work together and a lack of awareness of how culturally work together as a team is just massively missing in, in a lot of businesses. Mm. And so that's what I intended to do. You know, the whole context of my journey was how do I get those two things, but actually join it together? Because what you find is you, you'll, there's lots of stuff that you can do that sort of measures the ability of how people are being effective from a, a commercial perspective and MI and lean thinking and Kaizen and all loads of other stuff that you can do. But the whole context of actually, what about the team? But then what about all the teams in an organization? And so there was, there was that two sort of two slight sides and there was elements, well, the, the two of them fundamentally have got to work in unison together. Mm. And so how do you combine that commercial and cultural side of the ways of working is, is, is for me, the core to, to what I'm trying to strive to do. And, and how much of a blind spot is the balance of those things do you think in the businesses that you encounter today? Blind spot is basically, unless it's tangible, people tend to ignore it because it's, it's too hard you know, if it's tangible, it's easy to see, it's easy to measure. So it's intangible, it's too hard to see, and it's too hard to measure. So I'll just concentrate on the stuff I measure. So I quite understand why people end up measuring money and tangible bits all the mm. time, because it's easier to measure. Mm. But of course, as everybody knows, understands, 
the biggest challenge everybody has in business is dealing with people. And I mean it from the nicest possible way. We're all individuals. We're all different. We all, you know, come and have a good day one day and a bad day. The whole context of managing and leading people takes a lot of effort. The whole context of how you manage and lead it, it's not a binary. It's not a um, clear cut, tangible thing. You can do the best skills and you use the, all the stuff that you've learned around how you lead and manage on one day. And it may be brilliant, but another day, because of the nuances of how we as individuals and the psychology of it all change slightly, could not be the best day possible either. Yeah. So therein lies the challenges. And so that's the reason why that blind spot is it's easy to look at the commercial side of things because it's just easy to manage and measure. And it's harder to uh, manage and measure. I'm talking about people. Yeah. When, when they all do their jobs and they all work brilliantly, it's an easy job. Sure. Managing leading people that perform and doing well and have no problems it's a fantastic job when things start going wrong you've got to manage it that's when you earn your your big bucks as managers and leaders and unfortunately it goes back to comments said before when you have managers and leaders who've never ever been trained when things go wrong they have no idea how to do it they they rest on their as i say the largest the largest university in the world is uh, is called uh, the osmosis university uh, <laughs> And, you know, people just pick up things as they go along. And, of course, it depends on on the, the determination of whether it's good or not, is whether it, it seems to work or not, as opposed to whether it is, is um, effective or not. So, therefore, the number of people who pick up bad habits um, and bad behaviours is, is wide scale. I think it's the biggest problem, the, the whole learning from the, the guy before. I mean, in some ways, if you get a good boss, then it's not a problem. That's the secret, isn't it? Right? If we all had good bosses, everything would be brilliant. Um, 100%. But it's not that easy. Um, no. We said at the start of this that it would be futile to try and cover the whole of what's behind a high-performing team in tell you. 30, 30, 40 minutes. And, uh, yeah, it's been a futile attempt, but it's been interesting to try and scratch the surface of it. But in my podcast, Rory, I try and summarize stuff. I have this thing called Sticky Notes where I look for three pieces of advice that people can take away from listening today and start making a difference back at the ranch. Okay. So on this context of trying to get under the skin and produce a high performance team or an environment that can create a high performing team, can you leave behind three sticky notes that would give people some hints and tips on how to do that, my friend? Um, well, yeah, I mean, pick, pick three out of lots. It's, it's, it's quite a difficult one, right? Um, first one is seek to understand before being understood. I think I sort of picked it up from Stephen Covey, I think, but it's, I'm just suspect in some way, shape or form, it's been, it's, it's been in some sort of form for a long, long time. It all comes back to uh, Covey. Everything does. Yeah. It does, <laughs> everything does tend to do. He's the God of, uh, of everything. Um, so uh, when you think about it from a management point of view, the number of times I've gone, I've gone coming across people who say, they see evidence or they see some facts. Well, they see things happening and they straight away assume this, this, and this. And they just pile in and manage and lead in that certain way. Uh, so many examples after I've gone through the whole context of running out programs and workshops and various things, the number of people come back and went, you know, I went in there to go and sack that person. But actually I found out, I tried to find out why they were acting and behaving in that way. And actually it wasn't their fault. It was this or that or whatever. And actually, I've realized I need to do more with them to do this, this, and this, this. And so the, the, the amount of evidence, anecdotally, that keeps coming back all the time is that 
try and understand the other person, the other teams, the other whatever situation and understand it first before you you try and put your uh, perspective on things. And I think it's, you know, it's, 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 it can apply to anything in life, never mind just things that happen in business. We're so quick to go and give our thought onto something. And of course, if you take the whole context of how do we learn, how do we broaden our horizons, how do we better increase our knowledge and expertise, it is finding out more about other stuff before we impart. Because if all we do is just transmit all the time, you never hurt. And it's the same old thing, you know, you've got um, two ears, one mouth. Think about that as a as a ratio. <laughs> exactly. Good one. Great first sticky note, mate. What would you put on your second sticky note? The second one is it's it's a sort of two part. It's 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 the difference between um, short term pain, long term gain, and short term gain, long term pain. A lot of decisions that managers and, and leaders make tend to be it's quicker and easier to do something now and sort it out now. Um, so just give away or make it easier or whatever, rather than doing a decision that causes pain in the context of uh, resource, money, time, effort, whatever. And so the same old thing, if you, if you keep putting things off that need to be sorted out and just go for the quick the quick gain in the short term, you're kicking a can down the road for problems are going to come later on. Mm-hmm. The number of times I hear people saying, we're just mega busy, we're fighting fires. The true definition of fighting fires, whether you're in a firefight, and I've never been in one, but I've, you know, I've got friends who have been uh, either flying wise or or um, on the ground in in a, in a war scenario. When you're a proper firefight, you know the, you're not in a firefight. Anybody's in business, you're not in a firefight anywhere close. Yes, you can be busy, but a lot of people are busy fools. And the whole context of how you manage that situation, how you overcome it. Sometimes oh, I'll just do it this way. It's just easier to do it. Oh, I'll tell them how to do it because uh, it's just quicker for me to do that. And of course, if you keep telling people how to do things all the time, well, guess what? They'll just wait their wait to be told what to do all the time. And therefore, you're not developing them for the future. So really think about, is it a short-term gain, which potentially has a long-term pain later on? Whereas suck it up and go for a short-term pain now, because it will be a gain for later on. Uh, great advice, mate. Really good. And what's the third nugget of wisdom that you're going to leave us with? Well, tied into the whole context of you know what I'm aspiring to try and do for um, for business it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge I give to any um, leader or manager. So it can either be to the, the, the top person, but it's also a challenge I'd give to any single person who is, is managing or leading any scenario. And it's a, it's a very simple question, but it may not be the easiest one to answer. Mm. So what are you doing to create the right environment where high performance is inevitable? Because a lot of, a lot of managers need to think it's about them but actually you're the starting point. You're the one that's got to create the environment where they perform. So do you think the people that work for you in your team or in your organization are actually fulfilling the full potential that they have the ability to give? And if they're not, then you've got a question as to whether you provide the environment for them to be able to release that latent potential. Love it. I love it. I love a question on a sticky note just to make people think. Rory, I'm lucky enough to have spent a lot of time with you over the last sort of two to three years. We've had 30, 40 minutes to, to sort of scratch the surface on this. And that's, and that's literally all we've done. But it's always great to talk to you. Uh, I know you're an incredibly busy, busy guy. So thank you very much for your time today. Absolute pleasure. And uh, well, look, I, I, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. And maybe we'll do this again in the future and try and get a bit deeper on some of this stuff. Far away. You know, we, we love having discussions. We've had some interesting discussions over the time. So more than happy to do this again anytime. Okay, my friend. Brilliant. 
Right, everybody, that was Rory Underwood. If you'd like to find out about uh, him and a bit more about Wingman and what they do, then please check out the show notes. So, that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>